Hello, and welcome to the LYF podcast. This podcast is provided to you by the Love Yourself Foundation, which is an organization here spreading the message of love and more specifically self-love and the powerful ripple effect that has not only in building a better relationship with yourself, but also with your community and with our beautiful planet. We're here to tell you that we're all one. All living beings are connected to each other, to the universe. So we're going to be talking about important topics like mental health, environmental issues, and tying it all back into the self and ways that you can not only empower your relationship with yourself, but also empower your relationship with your community and with our beautiful planet. So if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the LY Foundation. You can also check out our website at the lyfoundation.org. And we have a very special new addition to what we're doing. We now have a membership program called the Lifeline Membership Program, which offers support calls, group support calls, free admission to our events, workshops, specialized merch. So we also have special discounts going for students, teachers, frontline workers. So if you want to hear more about this, please go to our website at the LY Foundation slash membership for more info. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the OAF podcast. Monica here. And today I am not alone. I'm here with Danessa, Danessa Das. He is somebody that I met last year, very synchronistically, actually. And I'll definitely get into the story later. So it's really a joy for me now to have him here to talk about his story, what he does here in the community, and just spread more of yoga to the world. Hi, hello, and welcome. Hi, Monica. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. My first question that I always ask folks when I have them on here is, what is it that you love about yourself? And how has that quality helped you in your life so far? I so before the we hit the record button, I admitted to Monica that I just listened to my first episode of this podcast today. And I heard you ask this question to Mr. Paul Benedict. And I was like, first of all, it was very confronting just to even, I was like, is she going to ask me that? Because it's, <laughs> it's a hard question to ask. And Paul Benedict had an answer like that, which I, I really loved. And it obviously made my wheel start turning. And I had to think, what do I love about myself? And I, I hope this is a, a, a good answer. But what I love about myself is that I'm trying. And what I mean by that is despite any hurdles that have, you know, come my way in life and even despite failing a lot in life, I, by the grace of God, I've just always been able to keep trying and keep going and keep moving forward. And so at the very least, I can say that about myself is that I'm trying and I love that. And how has that, how has that played a, a role in my life positively? I think it speaks for itself. I I know that you have a lot of people on this podcast who are yoga teachers or people who are in the wellness community. And usually when we come into this new lifestyle of wellness or spirituality, we tend to set a very high standard for ourselves. Usually it's the highest standard. So if we want to get, you know, physically well, if we want to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, we place the bar very high and it's just not realistic that we, we hit that mark, even in an advanced place. Mm-hmm. Keeping that in mind, we all fail, we all miss the mark, and we're not always meeting our own standards. And that's okay. 
So what do we do when we don't hit the mark? We keep trying Mm -hmm. and we forgive ourselves and we just move forward on the path. And even today, I've probably failed a couple of times. And I know that's very vague when I say that, but whatever that means for myself or other people, we just keep trying and that's Mm -hmm. all we can do. So I love that. And I'm grateful that you've said that. It's funny, the episode right before this one that I just recorded, I referenced Ram Dass and Mm. uh, we showed one of his clips. It was a clip on how to love yourself. And his response is very similar to yours. So it's really nice to hear because he talks about just the reality of being a human. And he talked about how a lot of times people wanted to box him in what it meant to be Ram Dass. And whenever he mm-hmm. wasn't that version of Ram Dass, what are you then? And, and on like more in summary, his response was like, I'm a human, right? And and my my and his answer was on how to love better, how to love yourself better was just how to accept yourself better, what you've just shared, because I think it provides a very real response. I also agree, I think, with what you were saying before about when you first get into the spiritual or wellness space, there can be really high standards. And when we don't meet them, then we feel really bad about ourselves. And then that just adds more mm. more chaos. So I, I really love what you've shared. Um, it's very real and it's very human. Uh, and, and, and I think that's honestly the times that I've actually been able to sit in uh, to some of Dinesh's facilitations, both in him leading discussions on the Bhagavad Gita and also yoga. And I really, that's what I really like about your teachings is that it's just real, it's human. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. I, I think that gets lost sometimes when we enter this space. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, that last bit, but I, I think it's a message that needs to be put out there more now than ever because especially in the age of like social media we have all these it's so crazy to even say this but we have like spiritual influencers or we have wellness influencers and the trick of all of that marketing is that you only put out the best parts of your journey you don't put in the ugly parts and i'm even guilty of this young people and even people well into their adult life we buy into the facade that perfection is where we should be and yeah so i just i think you're saying that ram das said this we're just human beings and we're flawed and that's beautiful yeah now tell us a little bit more about your journey, Dinesha. Talk to us about whatever you'd like to share on how did you find yoga and this path that you're on? I am a big fan of like transparency. Mm-hmm. So the beginning of my story really starts with my family. I grew up in a household where all the adults and even my siblings, we everybody had some form of addiction that they were struggling with. Everybody was on drugs at some point. People were struggling with alcohol abuse, gambling addictions. And it's by no surprise that I took on some of those same behaviors in my young, I can't even say young adult life, my teenage years. And that's actually not very unique. That's not a unique story. A lot of people share that experience, especially in Las Vegas. But In my early 20s, so I think about from the age of 14 to my early 20s, I was struggling with drug abuse and alcohol abuse and some other things. And in my early 20s, I had a series of events happen that really woke me up. Like it it shook me awake to where I wanted to change my life. I wanted 
something better for myself that I didn't see. I didn't see in my family life. So anyways, in a very cold turkey kind of way, I went straight sober. Like in one night, I like, I soaked my pack of cigarettes in, in water. I dumped out the alcohol. Any drug paraphernalia I had, I threw it away. And that same night, I've never done a drug since. And I'm turning 32 next week. But anyways, I said all that to say that when there's a chemical addiction, when it comes to things like alcohol and drugs, but there's also a behavioral addiction. And it's very much about your habits, your daily routines. And so my daily routine was I would, I had a job, I would go to work, but if I wasn't at work, I was getting higher drunk. And that was my behavioral patterns, my behavioral addiction. Mm-hmm. And so when I went cold turkey, all of a sudden I had all this free time. It's like, when that's the only thing I did with my free time, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was just looking around and seeing what other people were getting into. And I had an old friend named Stephanie Jensen, and she had just gotten her teacher training. I forget what studio or teacher that she got that done through, but when she got her teacher training done, she was giving these free yoga classes at the park. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I ain't doing nothing else. I went and I would, took my first yoga class at the park with, with Stephanie. And maybe you're, you've had the same experience, but after that first yoga class, after that first Shavasana, your first attempt at meditation, it, if it clicks, it's got you. And it's just, this is what I want to do. And so I started going to all of her yoga classes at the park. And then I tried the hot yoga. And then I I got my first debit card actually because I wanted to enroll in a monthly membership at a yoga studio. So I was like, I, I was just in. I was ready for it. And at first it was about like reclaiming my body in a way. Because I had given my my physical autonomy to drug abuse for so long that this was something that I was in control of. I wanted to do this physical yoga practice and and be disciplined in that. And it started off as a physical endeavor and practice. And I guess I've always been a a spiritual thing. And that's looked very different over my life. And and as I heard Paul Benedict say in in his interview is that it starts off as a physical thing, but if you're already inclined to spiritual thinking and spiritual lifestyle, it's going to take you there. And it, it did for me. So yeah, I ended up getting my yoga teacher training. I believe that was in 2003 or 2004. I'm really not too sure, but yeah, I got my 200 hour yoga teacher training. And, and then from there I kept learning, I kept studying these ancient yogic texts, like the yoga sutras and the Bhagavad Gita. But actually, I guess an important part of the story that I forgot is if you don't mind me going back a little bit is when I was 15 years old. I was 15 and I, I had a job at a restaurant. I was a busboy and I had a job and I was using drugs at the time. And I had a coworker that I would sometimes indulge in these, I'm doing air quotes, recreational activities with. And so we went to his house after work one day and, uh, you know, we were smoking some marijuana and he hands me this book called the Bhagavad Gita. And I'm, I'm 15. He's maybe in his mid thirties. And for any of your listeners who don't know, there's there are several books or texts in the yoga tradition that we really turn towards for our philosophy, for our knowledge. And the Bhagavad Gita is a key text in yoga traditions. And, but anyways, at 15 years old, I, it was, I was like a young little atheistic kid. I was using drugs. 
And so he hands me this book and he's talking about Krishna who spoke the Bhagavad Gita and he's talking about yoga and all this stuff. And I was listening, but as he's talking about the Bhagavad Gita, he pulls out a methamphetamine pipe and he starts smoking methamphetamines in front of me. And at the time that was so far out from what I was open-minded to. And, uh, and so anyways, I left with the book, but in my immature juvenile brain, I was 15. I associated this book that I was just gifted with the, the drug that this man was using. And I was like, man, if this, I, the slang term is tweaker. If this tweaker is into this book, then it's not for me. So anyways, I put the book on my bookshelf. I ended up keeping it forever. But when I got into my yoga practice and I was, I was doing my research into different, you know, various traditions and philosophies within yoga, I came across, it was probably like a Google search. It was like, oh, the Bhagavad Gita. And I, was, I got that. It's on my bookshelf. And so I finally dived into it. And with scrutiny and with a little bit of doubt and hesitation, I, I studied it, but I didn't fully accept it right away. Mm. And then as I matured in my spiritual life, I, I fully adopted the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. And really what that means is I, I, I dived headfirst into something called bhakti yoga, which is a little bit different from what you might see in the physical yoga studios. And yeah, eventually through my practice in bhakti yoga, I, I took initiation from my formal initiation from my guru, Hridayananda Goswami. And he's the one who gave me this name, Dinesha Das. And, and I, and now here we are, I, I guess it's a very brief version of my story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing as much as you just have. And it's always, I always love to hear everyone's story of what was it that made them evolve really? Because at the end of the day, it is evolution, self-evolution, and it's just so intriguing and relatable too. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think in all these stories we see, the humanity and all of it and how we all have so much more in common than we than what we might realize and i i would love if you could to maybe dive a little bit deeper um, into the bhagavad gita and the importance of this text and how it really can help you live a, a pretty good life Oh, okay. <laughs> the Bhagavad Gita, the, this, if you've never even heard of this book, even just the titles, it's a very flowery name. All of yoga texts are written in this ancient language called Sanskrit. And Sanskrit is that linguistics under, understand this language to be the oldest language we have in the world. It's in Sanskrit and Bhagavad Gita means the song of God. Bhagavad means Bhagavan, which is another name for God. And Gita means song. So it's the song of And the Bhagavad Gita is actually a, it's a, not a monologue, it's a dialogue between friends, this Bhagavan, also known as Krishna, and his dear friend and student Arjuna. And it it takes place on a battlefield. And it's complicated because the Bhagavad Gita is actually one chapter of a much bigger book called the Mahabharata. And to understand why they ended up on the battlefield to begin with, is, is it's a long story, so I'll spare you of that. But the idea is that there's this warrior named Arjuna. He was raised to be a warrior, to be a politician of sorts. And he, for very righteous and good reasons, he needs to engage in this battle. But the problem is that on the other side of the battlefield is people that he knows, his family, his friends, his previous teachers. And they are 
engaging in battle for maybe less pious reasons than Arjuna. But nonetheless, these are people that he knows and loves, so he feels conflicted. I know I need to engage in this battle for the welfare of all humanity, but it's hard because how can I kill people that I've looked up to my entire life, my uncles, my teachers? So he's conflicted. He's sitting on a chariot, and the person riding the chariot is Krishna. And I, I hope your listeners can forgive me using this term. I know the word God can be very triggering sometimes, people with religious traumas. But let's just understand that God is a very generic, so it's like putting cola on a bottle. It's just, it doesn't, it just means cola. So God, if when I say God, I'm talking about the universe or the divine, whatever you're comfortable with. But Krishna is this God, this, this embodied divinity. And so Arjuna turns to Krishna and he says, Krishna, I don't know what to do here. I know I should engage in this battle for good reasons. I know I need to do the right thing, but my mind is racing. My legs are trembling. I don't know if I can do this. Can you please give me some advice? And so Krishna, the way that God could do, pauses time and to engage in this conversation with Arjuna. And uh, yeah, so the first lesson that Krishna gives Arjuna is on spiritual life. And the key word there is, so the idea is that you, me, and everybody we know, even our house pets, we are not these material bodies that we are inhabiting. But in fact, we are something much more grand than something as temporary and flawed as the material body. We are spirit souls that are eternal. And when the body is, the soul transcends and just keeps going forward and and living its beautiful divine life. So this is the first lesson that Krishna gives Arjuna. But then from there, he offers different methods of yoga. So he offers something called karma yoga. I think a lot of people are familiar with that. Something called dhyana yoga, which means meditative yoga, or sometimes known as ashtanga yoga. He also offers something called jnana yoga, and then finally bhakti yoga. And knowing that we are not these material bodies, but we are spiritual beings, we should move throughout this material life through the practice of yoga. No matter what style of yoga you want to adopt, you should embody that and and make it your vehicle through moving through life in a very pious and righteous way. And he gives Arjuna these different options of yoga so that way he can engage in this battle without having material attachments to his family and his friends and teachers. He needs to do it with a spiritual vision. Mm-hmm. And the Bhagavad Gita is 18 chapters, so it's chocked full, 700 verses, just packed full of spiritual wisdom on how we can uh, move throughout this life through the lens of a spiritual practitioner, of a yoga practitioner. And there's a lot of peace to be found in moving through life like that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. We just all, we all want to live a peaceful life and to be happy. And the way we're doing things currently, and I'm speaking for myself even, when we move through life just seeing ourselves as these bodies, and we're just trying to enjoy these bodies and enjoy other people's bodies and enjoy stuff, that that doesn't offer a lot of substance for our life. And it actually doesn't offer us any lasting happiness either. If we want real lasting happiness in this life, we have to see through the lens of spiritual knowledge. And Mm -hmm. so the Bhagavad Gita offers us that. And I, I hope that was an eloquent answer to your question. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I know it's like you said, it, it's such a large piece of text. So to be able to summarize it, it's, it's hard, but you did a great job. And, and I find that every time that I go to it, I always learn something new, even though I've heard the story many times, but there's always something new uh, to be mm -hmm. learned. And going back to also what we were talking about before about that, that not forgetting the humanity when we're on this path. I think a lot of times too, like when we come to terms with our Dharma, our purpose, I know I can speak for myself where there's like a, it's like a, a coming to terms with it, but also the importance of not forgetting that you're human and that you're also still learning. And then your ego, checking your ego and being like, okay, yes, I'm doing this. I'm a teacher, but I'm still human too. So could you talk about that? Just the balance of that, of still embracing your human as the fact that you're still learning, you're still growing, but at the same time, you're a teacher and you're facilitating and helping folks also along the way. What has helped you? to keep that balance with the ego and at the same time embracing your humanity? I guess what is very humbling is I mentioned that I do have a formal guru or a spiritual master teacher in my life. And it, it doesn't stop there when it comes to the grace of others. And what I mean by that is that, sure, you, you did your yoga teacher training, right? I have not actually. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought you were a teacher as well. So anyways, but when we, I hate to even call myself a teacher, but I, at the end of the day, I, I do teach yoga and I have some things to offer, but the only reason I have anything to offer in the yoga world, or even to a stranger that I meet at the grocery store or whatever is, is I'm completely at the mercy of my teachers and the people that I've met in my life. And from the time we're born, we're completely helpless. And we need the guidance of people who are more advanced than us. The first guru is anything you learn in the first four years of your life, you learn from your mom. You don't come out of the womb knowing how to wipe your butt, right? <laughs> so or how to tie your shoes, or even how to feed yourself, or even how to mm. say your own name. And something that I've observed a lot of in today's spiritual community is there's this idea that you don't need teachers, you don't need a guru, you just need yourself, you are the guru, and anything that you need to know is within you, which is a very silly idea to me. And I, I don't mean to cause offense if maybe some of your listeners agree with that, but we don't know anything without the help of other people. So whether it's your mom, your grade school teachers, your friends, your siblings, and at a certain point, even if you, you might say, I learned this from reading a book. Okay. Somebody wrote that book and somebody had to teach that knowledge to that person who wrote the book. You know what I mean? It's, it, they call it a, a disciplic succession. So there's the original teacher, which in the yoga tradition is Krishna, God. So God is the original teacher and hands down knowledge generation after generation. So the, it's very humbling to know that even though I have something to offer people, it's not mine. It's not my knowledge. I'm borrowing knowledge from other mm -hmm. people. And because I'm still learning and I still have to learn from people like you and my teachers, I, I don't know everything. And I, I am very flawed and I make mistakes. And I don't think anybody expects perfection from me except myself. But yeah, so that's how I find the balance is that. It, and also when you do have something to offer, you should offer it. And whatever little bit of knowledge I do have that I've received from my teachers 
it'd be very selfish of me to hold on to it and just be like, Oh, I've got this knowledge. I've, I've got this formula for peace. It's mine. I'm just going to go hide away with it. That's a very selfish attitude. And actually the, you mentioned Ram Das and at the end of my name that my guru gave me is Das. So Ram Das Tanesh. Das means servant. And this is the real mood of a spiritual practitioner or a yoga practitioner is this mood of servitude. So we, whatever little bit of wisdom we have, it's our job as servants, as Dasa, to give it to other people who are um, ready to receive it. Yes, there's a certain responsibility. There's a responsibility to having certain knowledge. You have to give it to other people. But also it's humbling to know that I only have it because somebody else gave it to me. Mm-hmm. So I find the balance there. Yeah. And if I'm sure you've experienced this too. If your ego gets puffed up and you think you're so great and everything, life will humble you. It'll find a way. So always. anyways, <laughs> that's so true. It will always find a way. And I think, yeah, that's part, I think, of, of the fun too, just to stay grounded. And the more that we do this, the more that I find that it is easy to become aware of the ego when it's trying to creep in and, but also befriend it. I think that's, I think a lot of times the ego can also get like a really bad rep. We obviously do need it right for our survival as human Mm -hmm. beings, but definitely having a a balanced relationship with it is vital. And since I mentioned a little bit about purpose, what is your purpose? Would you say, Dinesha? I, I really don't know that I can answer that question right now in my life. I think I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I think, again, coming back to this idea of being of service, I think that's really everybody's purpose is nobody, nobody's purpose is to be self-serving and to be selfish and narcissistic. We are eternal individual beings and we have an eternal relationship with each other. And that relationship should be one of service. When I see you, when I look at you, when I speak to you, I should be thinking, how can I serve Monica? Mm. How can I make her day brighter? Maybe there's, maybe uh, in our conversation, she'll pull something out of me that she needed or her listeners. So I, I think that's everybody's innate purpose is this, is this idea that we should be of service to one another. And it doesn't mean that we don't serve ourselves it doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves and nurture ourselves. It's like making sure that your cup is filled so you can fill other people's cup. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that this idea of, of service is going to look different through my, throughout my life. Right now, what that means is um, serving my guru, serving God, serving my wife, being a good husband, serving friends and students, for lack of better words, the, the people who take my yoga class ever, I it's not, I'm a, a great yoga teacher. I need to be of service to these people. Mm-hmm. And that's what it looks like right now. That's what my purpose is right now. And I'm excited to see what that looks like five years from today. We're dynamic people. And maybe there is one grand objective purpose for each individual. But I think even then, it looks different throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think it definitely evolves. And I think staying flexible with it is important. I know in my and for me personally in my past, maybe I had more of a fixed idea on what that was gonna look like. But then like we're saying life has a way of of changing things and sometimes quick, right? So staying adaptable and flexible and is conveniently what yoga teaches us is to stay flexible yeah. with, with life. And for me, I'm not here to 
preach this for folks, right? It's, this is what's helped me. And that's my main motivation is for folks. It's helped me so much. That's why I love to share it and don't have yoga teachers on here because again, out of all the ideologies for me personally, it's what's helped me so much. And I, I really believe it can benefit a lot of folks out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you want any kind of spotlight put on you right now. So for, for your listeners, Monica and I met in a very beautifully synchronistic way. And we've never really had one-on-one time together like this before. And I don't think I've ever actually heard your story. But in a brief way, could you tell me how you came in contact with yeah, you know, it, it, I guess it started for me when I was, I'm 32 now. So it started when I was 19. I was going through a pretty difficult breakup, actually. And my mom was like, what if we could try to do this yoga thing together? And I was like, sure. And I went to a class and kind of, as you were saying before, you know, that first initial encounter with yoga is special. And I was remembering that that moment of, of my first savasana and my, my first time, like you said, attempting medit- to, te- to meditate. And it was very special. And I was like, man, I don't really know what I just did, but I feel like I need to keep doing it. And then a couple years after that, I was in college and I took this Indian philosophy course, uh, which, uh-huh. cer- which certainly enhanced everything that I, the little snippets that I was probably hearing from teachers in class, but obviously a broader and more in-depth view. And that was my first formal introduction to learning about the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras and all that. And that it really changed my life. I just remember, I because I, I grew up Catholic and for me, that just doesn't work for me. And I just remember learning about yoga philosophy and all that. It just felt better. It felt friendlier and it felt like I could, that was going to be, was going to help me really befriend myself and not be so hard on myself. So Mm. then I, so I just stuck with it and it's really, and it's evolved and my practice has evolved. And ever since five years ago, definitely gotten more disciplined with meditation and, and yoga navigating through through life and the different challenges and everything. So it's definitely become like my backbone to my day. And uh, I'm so grateful for it. And I love like mm. the the people that I've met through it, the teachers that I've met and to dive a little bit more and how we, Dinesha and I met. And I did share this in an episode last summer, I believe it was, I was driving and it was one morning after I had just practiced yoga and I had put it out there. I was like, you know what? I need to start taking a, a, a class where I can really start looking more at the philosophy again and dive a little bit deeper um, into the Bhagavad Gita. And I was listening to Jay Shetty's book at the time, Think Like a Monk. And then, so I had just put that out there in the morning. And then later on in that day, I went to Natural Grocers, the grocery store, <laughs> And Dinesha was my cashier and I think I was wearing my Ashtanga shirt or something. And you told me, you're like, oh, are you familiar with the Bhagavad Gita? And I remember I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I wanted. And he hands me a flyer for a new uh, book club that he was starting. And then it was wild. I want to say a week or so after my friend and also the director of the internship program at UNLV with the College of Liberal Arts, she messages me. She's like, Monica, I met this guy at this coffee shop that I think you really need to connect with. 
and ends up being Dinesha. So <laughs> it was all these signs like showing me like I have to connect with him. And then I went to uh, a handful of his uh, Bhagavad Gita book club sessions before I had went off to Spain and and we've been in, in contact ever since. So it's just life really does bring you the people you need to connect with. And I believe in those synchronicities so much because you can't make this stuff up. Like it's just too, it's too well-designed. And you know, it's that's your vantage point of that story because as Monica said, I had decided to start this Bhagavad Gita book club. And again, this was an act of service for me. It was, it was a way for me to give back to the community and so I had made all the arrangements and I created this little flyer and I actually printed those flyers out that day at work. I'm not even supposed to be using the, the, the work printer for stuff like that, but I did it. And so I, I always have a fear of sounding silly when I say stuff like this, but I was talking to Krishna, I was speaking to God and I was like, okay, I've got these flyers in my apron, Krishna, let me know when it's the right time to give somebody a flyer. So I step out and I'm, I'm cashiering people and Monica comes through with her yoga shirt and I'm like, okay, Krishna, say less. <laughs> I got it. I, I know you want me to give her this flyer. Yeah. And then I met your friend at the coffee shop and at the coffee shop, I was reading the Bhagavad Gita. So it was just so many things. And the Las Vegas wellness community, that means a lot of things, but it, it's really so small. So it was cool to see that when you came to the book club that you knew some of the people there, I think it was awesome. Yeah. So I, I love the, the way we met. Yeah. Me too. It's so oh, it's just beautiful. And the universe really does listen and, and our, our intentions and just the timing, it's just immaculate. And I love it. It like when the, it's just so magical. And I know life, especially it can get really hard. And especially right now with all the stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia, but it's stories like ours and more stories to come that it gives me a lot of hope. And since I mentioned that any Maybe any advice for folks that whatever they might be feeling with the upheaval that's happening right now, anything from your perspective? I don't know if this is a fact, but I, I feel like the world is getting increasingly more chaotic and I maybe I'm just more observant now and, and as I get older, I'm not sure. But my observation is that there is a great deal of suffering in the world. And it's if it's not war, it's hunger, if it's not hunger, economics or it's sometimes it's just somebody's dealing with depression and suffering takes on a lot of different shapes and, and sizes but I'm speculating here but I do believe that the source of all suffering is a lack of spiritual knowledge and I, I might be doing some confirmation bias there because I'm a spiritual thinker or whatever but there's a great deficiency in spiritual knowledge nowadays and what does that mean is 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 we live in a very empirical world now where, where science is God. And I love science, don't get me wrong, but what I mean by that is that we are all so convinced that we are these bodies. And that is such a limiting thing to believe in because these bodies are prone to fail us and make mistakes. And if we are these bodies, then, you know, you asked me what my purpose was and if we believe that we are just these bodies, then our life's purpose is just to satisfy the body and it, the senses and its cravings. Mm -hmm. And if our purpose is just to satisfy our senses, we're going to exploit the earth. We're going to exploit other people. We're going to step on people and we're going to objectify everything around us and include objects and people. And 
this type of this lack of spiritual knowledge is really the source of all suffering i believe in it's more prevalent now than ever i guess what i would like to say is i just want to condense it is is take on spiritual life whatever that means for you and it's like this idea of equality there's so much inequality in the world right now and people are suffering because of it look at what's happening in the ukraine and russia is they don't see each other as equals And the only way we can have true equality in this world is if we see each other as not bodies, different bodies, but as spiritual, equally spiritual entities. And it's in that type of equality, that equal vision. This is what the yoga philosophy offers us is is it offers us, it's called sama darshana. Sama means same, darshana means looking or to look at. And I'm working on this too. But when I walk throughout this life, I don't see people for their differences or see them as their bodies. Because if I am doing that, then I'm going to evaluate them based on their body. They're more unhealthier than I am. They're, they're, they're smarter than me. And then I'm envious. And then this person is better looking than me. And all the evaluations based on the body is it, it leads to a lot of trouble in our life. But if I can see with this equal vision, this samadarshana, I no longer make bodily distinctions anymore. And I no longer evaluate somebody based on that, but I see them as something very equal to me. Mm-hmm. And I always try not to use specific names when we talk about stuff like this, but because I don't want to take one side or other on the political scale, but there's these politicians. And I think you could bring somebody to mind right now who is causing a lot of suffering. And why are they causing so much suffering is because they lack this equal vision. They have no spiritual knowledge. They just see themselves as their body and other people as their body. And they're going to step on whoever they can to, to make their bodily conception of life more satisfactory or more pleasurable. And yeah, I, I guess I don't really know where to go from there. It gets much more complicated from there because mm-hmm. even these people who are causing suffering in the world, we have to see them as spiritual beings too. Right. And that's where it gets tricky is we can sympathize with people. If somebody's causing a lot of suffering in the world, we can sympathize with them by understanding that they lack spiritual knowledge, and but it doesn't justify their behavior. And then there's the whole part of they need to take accountability. We need to be forgiving towards them only if they can take accountability, really, and move forward from there. But this type of this type of exchange is not happening anymore. So I don't know if that offers anything to what you're asking. Yeah, absolutely. And um, offering that perspective, and I think. I'm right there with you in the aspect of in order to move forward, we have to realize that we all have that same unifying energy in us and whatever that is for folks. However, like for me personally too, I derive a lot of my um, spirituality from earth and nature and realizing that we're all these beings sharing this planet together and even just that, right? That we're all here together and We all are part of this ecosystem and we all have our place here, all animals, right? We're all here together, all plants, all life forms, everything. And I was just thinking about it today. I'm like, we have such a beautiful planet and it's sad to see these uh, world leaders not respecting it. And there's so many of us that do respect it though. And that was something that I had to remind myself. I'm like, you know what? There are still so many people here on earth that respect it and respect the land and 
and do respect humans. Whatever we're going through collectively, I know that I will always have this in my heart. I'm always going to have this, this compassion and love for life. And my hope is that will spread and that we will overcome these challenging moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I have hope that, yeah, I hope I have hope that there is a pivotal moment coming because I believe that most people, the common person, were virtuous. We believe in things like justice and being fair and equality. But unfortunately, in today's world, you don't take on a position of power by being kind and virtuous. The only way, I don't care if it's Jeff Bezos or the president or the prime minister of whatever country, in today's world, the only way to get those that rank in, in the world is by exploiting others. And but ge- generally speaking, the common person is it again, we just all want the same thing at the end of the day. We just want to be happy, feed our families, do our little hobbies, and that's it. And I, yeah. I think be, because that is the kind of the zeitgeist. We have to win eventually. Peace has to be right around the corner. But again, I I do believe that type of long-lasting peace can only be offered through spiritual life. And I know that it's going to look different for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to to just preach yoga philosophy or the yoga traditions. Whatever that means for you, like your relationship with the earth, it's going to look like something different for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, we all have to grab on to something transcendental than just these bodies. And then from there, what I think things can look a lot brighter for us. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, and uh, before we close out, I just, I was remembering too, as we were chatting when I was going through, uh, and I've spoken about this before, so to not elaborate too much, but when I was going through the depression, I was going through back in 2016 to 2017. And that was the year that I went through all the, the the big stuff, like the near-death experience, all these crazy things. But before that happened, when I was recovering from the depression, you know, I was going to therapy and I was doing all the things to get better. I will never forget this moment where I saw in my heart, just like in my, like just spirituality growing within me and it really realizing that there just has to be something beyond what I'm like freaking out about. And I had a moment when I was driving and I was listening to Jai Utai. Are you familiar with him, Dinesha? So he's, he's, he's pretty, he's a singer within the yoga community. And just this song, it was just, it just, man, it just, it shook me in a really beautiful way. And it helped me to realize, man, like, there's something here beyond us that connects all of us. And I think that was probably, to be honest with you, my first real encounter with God, with the universe, however we want to call it. And in that moment, I realized that I was going to be okay. And from there on, my, my spirituality grew so much. And like you said, with science and spirit, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like I see science as an explanation of the divine in a lot of ways. But it's important to still remember, in my opinion, to our spirituality and and grow in that way. Because I remember my life before this, it felt very empty. And then the but my life now after growing in, in my version of spirituality with in the way with, through yoga, through my relationship with earth has, it fulfills me so much. So I agree with you. I do agree that there is lack of that. 
And the more that we lean into that and, and again, however it resonates for people, whatever fulfills you really think that will help. Yeah. Yeah. And just one last little thing on everything. I think sometimes in, in the yoga tradition, we want to emphasize you are not the body. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. You are a spiritual being. Sometimes that kind of takes on this mood of we don't value material life. We don't value these material bodies and we don't value science. And I, I would hate to come off like that. I, I'm grateful for science every time I go to the dentist or, you know, yes. um, every time I drive my car and I'm, I, it doesn't mean I neglect my body just because I'm a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. We have to honor these bodies and we have to honor the gift we've been given here in this material world, but um, strive for spiritual understanding. And mm-hmm. I don't want to, I, I think we're coming up on an hour, but before we had started, you mentioned that, that the podcast, or I think as a foundation, the focus for the next month, the month of March is going to be a uh, focus. And we really didn't even touch on that. But so aside from the Bhagavad Gita, there is this book called the Yoga Sutras, which you mentioned. And right in the beginning, there's this verse that says yoga. Then the two verses after that, it says, I'll get into that. But yoga shittavritinirodaha means it's describing meditation uh, or yoga as meditation. Yoga is the ability to stop the mind from going all over the place and to focus it on one thing. And then it says that when the mind is still and we can focus the mind, then the soul can see itself for its true nature. And if we can't focus the mind, then we will continue to identify with the false ego. And so just to bring it all in, the focus this month is focus. I hate to be redundant, but yoga offers us this type of focus in many different ways through meditation. And and even in the yoga sutras, there are many different ways to stop the mind from wandering all over the place, from grasping for sense gratification and to fix the mind on one thing. And then from there, we can really find some lasting peace. It's only through this type of determined and vigilant focus and so uh, again i just encourage everybody that as you guys are exploring this idea of of focus is that one beautiful way to embark on that and and to expand on it is through meditation and yoga yeah i hope it's a fruitful month for you yeah thank you so much and before we close out dinesha what how can people connect with you what's the best way for folks to find you but really the best way i guess is through social media the only one I use is Instagram and it's shame on me. I, I could be getting this wrong. I believe it's Dinesha underscore Dasa. So that's D-A-N-E-S-A underscore D-A-S-A. And that's the best way for people to get a hold of me. I also teach one class a week right now at Kintsugi Yoga at 7.30 in the morning. Monica took my class recently. It was wonderful having you. You have a beautiful mm-hmm. practice, by the way. Thank you. And, and yeah, I guess through social media, time is limited here. So we didn't get to, to expand too much on yoga philosophy. But again, I'm, I'm trying to take on this mood of dasa. I'm a servant. Whatever I can offer people, your listeners, if they have questions about yoga, about meditation, about Bhagavad Gita, shoot me a DM, shoot me a message. I will promise to get back to you and we can even move forward from there. But yeah, reach out to me there. Awesome. And then Dinesha, uh, could you just chat real quick on what is your, what is the class that you're teaching at, at Kintsugi right now? So it's, uh, it's, I guess the title on the schedule, uh, if you look at it, it says Vinyasa Flow with Meditation. 
And vinyasa is referring to the physical part of yoga, which is what everybody knows, your down dog, warrior two and all that. So we do about 60 minutes of that. And then the meditation part of it, something that we didn't really talk about was bhakti yoga, but bhakti yoga is very mantra heavy meditation by way of mantra. So it's, it can be like just reciting something or singing something. So that's what we do in classes. So thank you so much, Tanesha. And, and I'll also include your Instagram in the description. And we will we'll also have that when we post on social media. But thank you so much. Any comments or anything else before we sign off? No, it was so awesome being here. And I, I, think, we, I think we need to have a second conversation sometime in the future. I'd love that. Yeah, I would love that too. And uh, thank you so much for... You know, sharing as much as you did about your story, um, about the teachings, and uh, I'm very grateful, honestly, for what you're doing and what, how you're contributing to our community. So thank you so much for your service, uh, and I'm so <laughs> grateful to um, be connected with you. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, peace. Peace.